Welcome into the BSN Buffs podcast presented by Blake Street Tavern. I'm Chase Howell alongside Sam Weaver. We're filling in uh, on the podcast for this week. Uh, usually you get Jake Shapiro, Ryan Koningsberg. This time you get Chase and Sam, and we're the ones that have been at practice every day. So hopefully we can provide a little bit more breakdown than you guys normally get. We're going to start by uh, talking about that tough loss against Washington this week. The first loss at Folsom in almost two years. Chase, where do you want to start? Well, now that you bring it up, I'd like to say that that was the first loss for me as a student at the University of Colorado in Folsom. So it was a first to my eyes. I've never seen the CU players sad on that field. It was kind of weird, but... The good news about that game is we got to learn a lot about the team. They haven't been tested yet this season. I know CSU was a closer game, but they didn't go up against the type of offensive line or defensive line that Washington has. So we got to learn a lot about what this team really is. So this was the first time that we kind of got to make an honest assessment of the team. Texas State, Northern Colorado, maybe not the best judges of what the Buffs are capable of this season. So... Let's go ahead and start with that first offensive drive where the Buffs looked so good. Like, they just they put everything together. So what made that drive so successful? Well, I think you saw CU playing at the pace that they want to play at for the right. first time pretty much all season. They want to go fast. Coach Lindgren had said that all preseason, that they want to play at a very high tempo. And it takes a lot to play at that kind of speed. And you need to get in a kind of rhythm with your offense, running those screens, running the run plays out on the tackles. And they that drive probably went by in, what, two, three minutes. Didn't take long. Every play was quick. They were all screens, slants, nothing. They weren't taking any shots. They didn't have to wait for any of those plays to really develop. And it looked like the offense that everyone expected, and yet we didn't see that offense again for the rest of the game. Yeah, I think that was the weirdest thing, right? So you have um, major involvement from Jawan Winfrey in this first drive. You see him targeted, what, two or three times. And then you have Phil Lindsay just like consistently bouncing to the outside and getting those uh, yardage and those downs and all that stuff. And then it just kind of goes away. Like you never really see that offense again. And a lot of those things changed, right? Like you only see Juwan gets one more target over the course of the second half. And Phil is kind of um, not bouncing outside as much, kind of trying to run up the middle. And I mean, you didn't really see much of Shea or Bobo for a lot of the game. And you got to give a lot of credit to Coach Peterson. And McIntyre has already said that this week, that as he watched that film, I think he said this yesterday, that they were making adjustments. Washington continually made adjustments on CU's offense. And CU struggled with, adjusting to those adjustments that's the key to football is teams will make adjustments on you it's what you do to those adjustments to try and score points and CU did absolutely nothing on offense once Washington kind of figured out what they were doing it just it seems like they hit a brick wall at a certain point right so Chase and I just rewatched the game and we were talking about how every time they got across the 50 they just kind of froze or panicked or made some huge mistake through a turnover whatever it was and it just it just kind of got ugly really quick, and it just didn't even seem like the same offense in the second half. Yeah, that was the other thing is the offense didn't look that bad in those other drives. It wasn't like they were just going three and out after three and out. Right. They continually were getting it into Washington's territory, but right when they got into their territory on like the 40-yard line, you see Steven Montes throwing an interception or the drive gets stalled or something happens where they just can't finish those drives, and that's something that they're going to have to work on 
to try to beat UCLA, which we'll get into, but you ha- you, they will have to score points to beat UCLA, and that means getting it done once you get into UCLA's territory. We talked about two of the biggest problems being uh, Steven Montez obviously throws three interceptions. Um, One of those wasn't really his fault. That was like off Phil Lindsay's hands. But he overthrew Devin Ross. He overthrows Shea Fields in the end zone. That one is picked off. And then you also see a lot of struggles from the offensive line. Like Steven Montez gets sacked for like two pretty significant losses on one drive. And there's just a lot of... They had five sacks in that game. We were both doing stories on the offensive line for this week to be expected on BSN um, and you can tell that this offensive line really hasn't figured it out yet all five of them haven't started together the five that were predicted to start at this season which is Irwin Co, Hagler Lenat, and the last one that I'm forgetting is Jonathan Huckins who's right. been out these past two games so they haven't gotten the starting five that they want, which you can use as an excuse, but it also means that they don't have that much depth back there, which is a reason to be worried. Josh Kaiser has come in and played three out of the four games for the most part. Uh, the second game against Texas State, it was a lot of Isaac Miller, and he just hasn't looked that good. He, he hasn't. I think his best game was against CSU, and he hasn't looked that way since. This offensive line is really struggling, and it's part of the reason why Steven Montez threw so many interceptions, which he felt under pressure at all times, and he felt like he had to do something. He had to get out of the pocket. He had to make a big throw, and you're just not going to win games against good teams when your quarterback is panicking almost every time he drops back. Right. I mean, we talked about through the first couple games, we kept kind of using the excuse of, oh, Jeremy Irwin is uh, not playing right now. So when he comes back, it's going to be this big boost to the line. And they honestly, they haven't been playing that much better with him back. No, not to Jeremy Irwin. He's a great player, but it just doesn't seem like they found the right chemistry. And I talked to him a couple of days ago about if all these shifts on the offensive line, not settling on a front five is really affecting the chemistry with the team. And even Jeremy Irwin said, yeah, of course you want to settle on a front five. I mean, that's really hard in college football, but like ideally we want to have like the set guys out there so that we know what to predict. We know how to get our chemistry going, and it's it's tough when it's always shifting. Yeah, and the other thing is that all of these guys were healthy in the offseason, so these five practiced together through all of preseason in spring ball even. Right. They got comfortable with each other, and then you get into the first game and Jeremy Irwin can't play their top linemen, and they had to figure out what to do without him and they couldn't really do that and then they get in these last two games and they didn't have their starting center and Jonathan Huckins and Tim Lenat had to play center which we can talk about a little bit there because he missed a few snaps I I think maybe two or three ended up on the ground and it was obviously a wet day so that had something to do with it but not having your center having Lenat have to play center which actually hurts the offensive line because when they use Tim Lenat as that pulling guard is usually when they get their biggest runs because he's so athletic, so big, can make such big blocks. When he's a center, he has so much other things to do that he's not able to do that. So the hope for this team, get Huckins healthy, which it sounds like he is. He told me yesterday that this is the first week that he's 100%. He's going to be starting at center, and hopefully they'll have the five that they expected to, and we'll see if they have the chemistry that everyone was kind of talking about before the season. 
Well, Huckins coming back this week as, um, I mean, he played a little bit last week, but not in the role that he usually does. But even um, him coming back healthy this week, Coach Max said that uh, Tim Lanott is still going to be lining up at center occasionally, so taking snaps at center. So, I mean, it's it's still going to be that same shifting thing. They're still not going to have settled on that five. And I don't know if that's because uh, Tim Lan- or, uh, because Huckins is still working his way back. I don't really know why they're still going to use Tim at center. Yeah, it was kind of a weird comment from Coach McIntyre today. He said, we're going to give – uh, Lenat a few shots at center still. And yeah. I mean, I understand they want to groom him into a center. That's his best shot in the NFL, and they're going to need a center next year when Huckins leaves. So it makes sense, but if Lenat is best at right guard when he's moving around, when they're using him as that pulling guard, and they struggle when he's at center, that's just the bottom line. So it doesn't make sense why you would want to keep trying him there, even though it's not working. Well, and a lot of that is maybe not as much to do with him lining up at center as not having somebody of equal talent to replace him in his role when he's lining up at center, right? Like, that's maybe not as much on him as it is, like, they need a better um, – they need, like, a better chemistry at whoever is stepping up in his position if Lynette's going to be at center. Yeah, I've heard that they really like Hagler at guard, which, right. which is where he's played these last two games because they think he's so athletic. He can play guard. Um I'm under the impression that if you have a 6'7 offensive lineman, putting him inside usually doesn't work. You want him protecting on the outside. Hagler spent all last year playing tackle, and then they decided early this season to move him to guard, and he's been learning this position the last two games, and it hasn't really worked out. I think they need to move him back outside, move Lynott to right guard, and then have Hawkins play center. So um, before we shift to defense and the stuff that we saw on that side of the ball, we want to touch a little bit on the wide receivers, none of whom eclipsed 50 yards or found the end zone this week. So Devin Ross led all wide receivers with uh, 41 yards. And then um, Katie Nixon actually on returns had the second most all-purpose yards of the game with 77. So none of your receivers really break free. Nobody really finds the end zone. That's that's going to be a big problem with UCLA because you have to match this team that's averaging 45 points a game on offense. Yeah, it looked like the Blackout boys were struggling to get open. Um, you'd expect to see Steven Montez with his arm take a lot of shots downfield. Right. The, there were... I'm remembering two shots downfield in that whole game. The one was the interception, obviously, and then another one was to Devin Ross. Did you overthrew him on the sideline. Yeah, just missed him. They they didn't take that many deep shots. The type of arm that Steven Montez has, they should be trying a deep ball almost probably every drive. And with how many deep threats they have, Shea Fields, Bryce Bobo, Devin Ross, all of these guys can catch a ball deep. All of them can, like, get big plays for you. So... It, it was kind of surprising to see nobody really... I mean, 40 yards, that's... And you have to give credit to Washington's young defensive backcourt. Um, they, they're in the same boat as CU is. They let they had three players leave, go to the NFL, take that ne- next step, and then they had to fill in. So they kind of have their Trey Udofias, Evan Worthingtons, those sneaky younger guys that are pretty good and completely shut down this really good CU receiving core. Well, that's a good shift, right? Let's talk about how the the Buffs lost three players in their secondary who were starters who are now playing in the NFL. And let's talk about uh, the guys who have stepped up. I mean, Afalabe Laguda has this interception, and Isaiah Oliver has just been shut down. But Trey Dofia and Evan Worthington have both been so good. I mean, I it's really surprised people. Everyone thought that 
the step that Sue was going to take backward was going to be in the defensive backcourt, right. and that just hasn't happened. Trey Udofia has been really, really good, and no one's really talking about him because he's not getting any targets. No one even wants to throw his way. The only time they're really throwing to Trey Udofia's side is when they run that out route that he can't really stop. It. I mean, he's been locked down. Yeah. Seriously. And Evan Worthington is becoming an amazing player. He was already a really good player when he was here his freshman and sophomore year, and then he took a year off. And you can just tell how much he's grown as a player, how much faster he's gotten. Uh, he told me in the offseason that he was working with 6-0 strength when he left, so we got to give some credit to Matt McChesney, what he is able to do down there. He made Evan Worthington a ton faster. And he was asked after a game, I remember a couple weeks ago, what is it that made you so fast? And he said it's just... It's that belief. It's that will to get it done. I mean, I don't know if I fully believe that. I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> Can it has I will a, myself to be faster? Yeah, I'm sure it has a little bit of will in it, but he's definitely gotten a lot faster, and he can just close down on receivers so quickly. He made some huge tackles in this past game. Evan looked so good. We were watching when we were rewatching the game earlier. I mean, Evan Worthington just like nails this guy on the sideline to hit him out of bounds to save him from getting into the end zone at what the one or two yard line, like. Mm-hmm. It looks so good, and I, I talked to Ryan Muller this week, and Ryan Muller was like, I think a lot of people were really surprised by Evan and Trey coming in and playing the way they did. Like, we, as the rest of Money Gang, were not surprised, but, I mean, they just look so good out there. It's like, I don't want to say that Cheeto and uh, Akello and Ted leaving didn't affect the buffs or anything, but, like, it's almost like that secondary hasn't really missed a beat since they left. They haven't taken this big step back that everybody expected. Okay, so Trey Dovia, Evan Worthington, both having really good seasons so far. Um, we're going to kind of shift gears into our hot or not segment, I guess. So we're going to talk about uh, players who have looked really good, players who haven't necessarily looked as good. Um, you want to go ahead and start with uh, Leo Jackson has been the man this year. Yeah, um, CU's defensive line got crushed on Saturday night, like absolutely yeah. obliterated. But the one bright spot about it was Leo Jackson. And every time Washington had a big run, we were just rewatching the game. Mm-hmm. Every big run was to the left side away from Leo Jackson. And every time that they did run it to his side, he was able to stop him. Usually he came up with a big tackle. He wrapped somebody up when they went in his direction. Yeah, he's, I mean, he was really impressive in those first three games. We already knew that. And then um, he was obviously quiet in this Washington game because they got just obliterated on that defensive line. I think that's the best way to put it. Right. But Leo actually played very well, and they were obviously afraid of him. Yeah, and uh, another another bright spot on the defense, uh, Drew Lewis has been just also just so good through the first several weeks, but this weekend too. I mean, this past Saturday, he looked really good against Washington. He had a couple of uh, big tackles for loss. He had uh, some good hits. Like, let's... Yeah, he continues to look really good, and he continues to lead the team in tackles. I think that's the third week in a row. I'm not sh- Don't fact check me on that one. But I believe <laughs> that's the third week in a row that he has led the team in tackles. Uh, last week he was tied with Rick Gamboa at 10. He continues to rack up tackles. And he he's really just so athletic, and he continues to show off that athleticism on the field. He can move around so, so well, and it helps to be alongside – Rick Gamboa, who obviously can't move around very well. <laughs> and it helped those two work off of each other so well, as you can see in the way they played this past week. Well, and every time you ask Mac about uh, 
uh, Drew Lewis, he goes, man, can that kid fly? Like, his whole demeanor changes when he's talking about Drew. He's just, he's a really exciting player, and he's really fun to watch. Um, I kind of wonder how good Drew would be at running back. I think it, it always kind of... I think Drew's so athletic, he could almost play a lot of positions, and yeah. he would still do really well. Every time there's a dominant running back, I always, or a dominant linebacker, I always like to think about how good they'd be at running back, because it people over. reminds me of uh, when Miles Jack played for UCLA a couple years ago, and they would put him on both sides of the ball, and every time he would run, he would break a big one, even though he was a dominant linebacker. So I think Drew has that same type of capability, just because of how athletic he is. All right, let's uh, let's talk about the other side of the line for a second. Let's talk about Javier Edwards maybe not playing as well as maybe we had expected him to. Yeah, he had really high expectations coming so into high. here. He had to be the starting nose tackle. They didn't really have another option. They have Lyle Tuiloma mm-hmm. as the backup, but um, they didn't. I mean, they didn't want him to be the starter at right. nose tackle this year. So. Javi has the size and everything. He's just like supposed to be that that big guy anchoring that whole line, and yeah, it just he plays a really big role in this defense. And he too many times he gets caught one on one with the center, and that just doesn't do anything for you because then you have the guards that are able to run out and block the Drew Lewis and Rick Gamboa, and they break for a big run. He has to at least grab onto a guard when the center grabs onto. <laughs> Because that's what Josh Tupo was so good at, was yeah. getting as many guys as he possibly could like out of there so that he could clean it up and the linebackers can come in and make the tackle. And Javi just hasn't been able to do that. This was obviously his first time ever seeing Pac-12 competition. Right. He probably won't see an offensive line that that is that good again this year. So it was great learning lessons from, from him. I hope he understands that he has to get a little bit stronger because those guys pretty much just dominated him. Yeah, another uh, another person who maybe stumbled on offense this week, and this is this is for this week that he's in this not column for me at least, not for the season. But Sheafields, I mean, let's talk about that drop. That is so uncharacteristic for him. Sheafields <laughs> drop passes in a game when you need him to make a play, and um, that interception that Montez threw where he was targeting Shea in the end zone. I don't know if that was a miscommunication. I don't know if Shea was not supposed to be the target on that play, but he did not even turn around. Like, he wasn't even looking for that pass. Yeah, it looked like Shea didn't even know it was coming. He just turned around and saw the Washington defensive back had it in his hands and was like, oh, man, well, interception. But, yeah, I mean, he needs to figure out a way to get some more separation. Yeah. The only times he's been able to break big plays with the – from the top of my head are the two plays where Montez pointed him to run. Right. And he ran and scored a touchdown. He needs to figure out how to create some more separation, and that usually has to do with his route running. Uh, he only runs like... Two routes? We've yeah. been talking about this? <laughs> I know. I always say <laughs> I mean, I call it two routes. I know he loves the slant, and he loves the fly route. Slant so good. And obviously, when he has to run a screen, that's what he runs. So maybe three routes, those are his clear favorite Three but he's not check. creating any separation on him and he needs to clean up his routes a little bit and start getting open even against texas state and northern colorado where you would expect shay to be like by himself in the end zone like beating that coverage he just wasn't he wasn't finding that separation and it almost seems like the the big plays that he has had this season have been on broken coverage they haven't really been him getting that separation they've been more mistakes by the defenders. And also, Shea needs to um, work on some blocking because there have been a couple times where he's maybe not allowed his teammates to get as many yards as they could have. 
Yeah, on some of those wide receiver screens, he just kind of acts like he doesn't care. Doesn't care to block. Um, last year, that was a big reason for their offensive success was how good these wide receivers were blocking. Right. And a lot of them are doing a great job, but sometimes mm-hmm. they just quit on the play. And I'm sure that's something that Coach Shev just buries into them that they have to finish all their blocks. And this is not just on Shea, but like in general, you cannot have that mentality of if the ball is not coming to me, this isn't my play to be a contributor. You just like can't have that mentality. And that's kind of been sprinkled across the offense a couple times this this year so far. I've seen like a couple of wide receivers be like, oh, it's not my ball. So I'm not necessarily going to put as much effort into it as maybe I would if that was my target. Okay, so uh, shifting gears to a different wide receiver here, let's talk about uh, Katie Nixon, who I have been super hype on since he committed to the Buffs, but um, he's been the uh, kick returner so far, and he had uh, 77 yards on kick returns this weekend, the second most all-purpose yards of any offensive player on the team outside of Montez, obviously, but second only to Phil Lindsay and um, Katie Nixon and... Uh, LaVisca Chenault, for that matter, both just look explosive every time they're on the field. Like, J-Mac said to me today that LaVisca Chenault makes a play every time he steps out on the field. And KD feels the same way. I mean, that kid has just been... He just looks untouchable, almost. Yeah, and and every time they get him into game action, it's usually late in the fourth quarter, he runs a fly out of the slot. I love watching him just run. And you'll see the safety have to tug on him a little bit, and the quarterback doesn't throw it. That has happened like three times when he gets out there. So Mm -hmm. obviously his speed is going to be really hard to deal with when he gets on that actual field. I'm under the impression that I think he needs to be returning punts personally. I don't see a point in putting Isaiah Oliver out there every single time. Right. If you're you're putting your starting cornerback out there, he better be a Dory Jackson. Like he better be (laughs) taking it to the house every single time or have that threat to take it to the house every single time. Otherwise, there's no point. And Isaiah Oliver... He's good at returning punts. He's not great. So there's just not a point in putting him out there every time. And then Jay McIntyre is pretty much the same way. He's a starting wide receiver. You need him out there. He's not a dominant punt returner. Yes, he'll catch it for you every single time. But I think that Katie Nixon needs to be the guy back there. There might be something going on why he's not. I'm sure they've probably tried it. Maybe he likes to drop the ball back there. I, I don't know, but... Yeah, I don't, I don't know what it is either, and I, I agree with you. If you're putting your best corner and one of your starting wide receivers back there to take all those extra hits, like, it has to be for a very good reason. And, I mean, with how good Katie Nixon looked this weekend especially, I don't know what their reason is. Like, I don't – and I'm, I'm sure they have one again or they would have him back there fielding them, but – I, I think that Katie Nixon and even Visca taking on a bigger role in this offense could be really big. It just gets me excited for next year when it's going to be Juwan and Kabion and Visca and Katie on that receiving core. It's going to be good. And J-Mac. Yeah. I mean, we should enjoy the blackout boys that we have now, but right, yeah. the future no. <laughs> is very bright. All right. And then to cover one on the not side, um, obviously this offensive line has struggled I think one of the main reasons has been Jared Coe. He's a veteran on this CU team. He's been around forever, a senior. He should be able to be proficient on that offensive line. I guess that's probably the way to put it. He's missing too many blocks right now. I, I'm not sure if it has to do with Jeremy Irwin being out the first two weeks, but he definitely struggled in those first two weeks. He looks a little bit more comfortable now with Jeremy Irwin next to him. But he's still, he continues to struggle, and he's supposed to be one of the top 
offensive lineman on this team. He's started for a while. There's a lot of good reasons that he should be good, and he's just not right now. So he's on the not list for me. I mean, we had him on our BS and Buffs top 20, I want to say in like the teens somewhere, something like that. We we expected him to have a really good season. I mean, if you're in the top 20 on this Buffs team, they're like pretty stacked. So to have him on there and then have him kind of play the way he's playing, is he the one who ran through that play and just like did not pick up a block at all? He just (laughs) like ran into the backfield and we were like, what is he doing? He was used as a polling left guard on one play and he just kept running. He just kept going. He didn't have the football. Didn't pick up anyone to block. I I mean, that's not even close to the worst play he's made this year. He's letting letting too many guys run free. Uh, And he's one of the main reasons for the struggle on the offensive line. So as he gets better, as he probably is figuring it out, he's a smart enough kid to he probably watches a ton of tape and knows that he continues to screw up. So I believe he's going to get better. Do you want to cover a Hawkeye? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to put it that way. Um, so uh, other side of the line, um, or not other side of the line, other side of the football, I guess. Uh, Afalobe Laguda got a lot of, uh, I guess, negative coverage in the off season about how he wasn't going to be able to step in for the guys who left. He wasn't going to be able to... Um, He's not that good in coverage. All this kind of negative press around Phil. That interception was so beautiful. That was so pretty. Him and Isaiah like teaming up on that. And then I just I just think he's I think he's looked so good. And of course it's not fair to not mention Isaiah in our hot list. You can pretty much permanently put Isaiah Oliver in our hot list. He is so fantastic. He is one of the best corners in college football right now. But Afalabai Laguda, I think he's played so much better than people expected him to, and I'm I'm happy that he lived up to what I expected from him. I think he's been such a leader of this defense. One of the places that he's really improved this season has been tackling. I've been mm-hmm. so impressed with the way he's just been able to tackle these guys, no matter if it's getting them down low by the ankles, getting them up top, and then obviously the one targeting call against UNC, that was a bad hit, but... But it was like playing hard. It was playing tough kind of Yeah, in terms of tackling, it was still a great tackle. Right. So um, he continues to look very good in this defense, and he's showing why he was a starter last year. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about Flo. I think he's going to have a really good season. Um, whatever whatever nickname you want to give him, his Twitter handle is FizzyFo. He calls himself Agent Uno, whatever you want to call him. I'm, I'm excited about Flo. Okay, so that will do it for our Washington recap. Uh, On the flip side of this break, we're going to get into a little UCLA preview, so stay tuned. Before we go any further, I have to tell you guys about the Blake Street Tavern. I know you guys hear it every time you listen to the podcast. If you're a new listener, this will be your first time, so come on down in the Blake Street Tavern. You have to be here at the UCLA game. I know it's a late game. It's at 8.30 p.m., there's no better place to be at than the Blake Street Tavern. This place will be rocking till probably 1 in the morning, to be honest. The game probably won't end until about then, and you have to be here at the Blake Street Tavern. If not, you're really missing out. Okay, so the really nice thing about UCLA is we actually kind of know what they have in their football team. Before the Washington game, they hadn't really played anyone, so we didn't really know much about Washington. And then obviously the other teams hadn't played much because they just didn't have that many games. UCLA, on the other hand, they've played quite a few good teams. Three, in fact, in Texas A&M, Memphis, and Stanford. They've lost the last two games, and we kind of know what this team is all about. They love to throw the ball. 
obviously with a quarterback in Josh Rosen that's probably going to be a first-round NFL draft pick. And they don't run it that much, although Soso Jamabo had his first 100-yard rushing game of the season this past week against Stanford. Um, they really don't run it. A lot of that is because they're, they've are they been playing in a lot of tight games with Texas A&M where they had to come back in the fourth quarter, which you're going to throw it a lot if you're trying to come back in the fourth quarter. Um, same thing with Memphis and Stanford is those games were both close heading into the fourth quarter. They were down to Stanford, so they had to throw it a ton in that game. Um, Coach McIntyre alluded to that a little bit yesterday. He said, I'm sure they probably want to be a little bit more of a balanced team, but they've just gotten into so many situations that uh, they've just had to throw the ball. So because they throw the ball so often, Josh Rosen has the most passing yards of any quarterback in college football right now, as well as UCLA has the top passing offense in college football, averaging about 450 yards per game. On the flip side of the ball, UCLA's defense gives up a lot of rushing yards. Um, Stanford's running back, Bryce Love, had 262 yards on the ground this past weekend on 30 carries. Which is almost, which is more than double um, the passing yards the Stanford had, which was just that uh, like about 140. All combined, their top quarterback had 123 passing yards. So basically, Stanford ran all over them, did a really good job at it. Uh, they had five rushing TDs in total. Bryce Love only had one of those. Obviously, they put up 58 points. Memphis did did very similar things when beating this UCLA team. So if CU can run the ball with Phil Lindsay, I think they're going to have a really good shot. Okay, so yeah, obviously feeding Phil is going to be um, one of the keys to the Buffs winning on the road this weekend. Um, I think there are a couple of other things that are going to be big too, starting with uh, defense. I think a lot of the Buffs uh, coming away with a win this weekend is going to be on their defense, which is a good thing because their defense is playing maybe better than their offense is right now. So um, uh, UCLA's quarterback is going to be challenging the Buffs secondary a lot, and I think they have plenty of weapons to kind of uh, corral Rosen, and then getting pressure on him with the defensive line is going to be huge. You can't have a quarterback taking 50 or 60 shots during the game and uh, expect to like really be able to corral enough of those to keep him out of the end zone, so... Yeah, I think we're going to see a little bit of a different defensive line formation this week. They're going to have that uh, nickel set that they like to do where they have two down linemen and then like two linebacker type linemen. They're like hybrid linebacker linemen. It's usually Jacob Collier and uh, Tim Coleman down there. And that's their set that they like to go with when they're rushing the passer. So they're going to have to get to the quarterback. I think it makes a lot of sense to use that formation when they're going up against UCLA because you know that they're going to throw the ball a lot, especially on third down, especially in long down situations. So hopefully they change that up again a little bit because the three down linemen that they were using a lot against Washington just wasn't working. Yeah, and then hopefully on offense we see um, a little bit better performance from Steven Montez. Obviously, I mean, he said after the game uh, in the press conference, he said you can't throw three interceptions and expect to win a game, and he's right. Like, they have to win um, the turnover battle, and they have to uh, involve their wide receivers more. Like, on that first, like on that first scoring drive with uh, Washington, or against Washington this weekend, 
Um, Steven Montez hits Bryce Bobo, Devin Rosh, Juwan Winfrey, Phil Lindsay. I mean, he's really using all of the weapons at his disposal on that drive. And then after that, that seemed to kind of peter out. And that wasn't, um, the offense wasn't running as well when he wasn't spreading it around as much. All right, so let's get into some predictions. Uh, Vegas currently has the line at minus seven in UCLA's favor. Uh, and over-under is at 68.5 right now, so obviously they're predicting a pretty high-scoring game. And UCLA is a seven-point favorite. Sam, what are you thinking for your score prediction? Um, I think I think they're right about it being a close game. Uh, I'm going to say somewhere closer to like 21-24 Colorado just because I think this game goes one of two ways. I think that either... The Buffs really contain that offense and don't let them score 45, 55, whatever they've been scoring that many points, or um, they lose. Because I don't think the Buffs are going to be able to keep up with that. They haven't been able to put up that many points against Northern Colorado, against um, anybody so far. So I don't have a lot of faith in them like winning a shootout. I have more faith in them like pulling out a defensive victory. Yeah, see, I kind of am along those same lines that I don't think that they could pull it out if it's a shootout. So I'm going to go with uh, 35-31 UCLA. I'm on Vegas' side on this. A little under Vegas' side, so give me the points on that. (laughs) But, um, yeah, I do not think that CU will be able to score enough in a shootout game. I think they'll be able to put up some points, at least more than they did against Washington. But um, I think in the end, Josh Rosen is going to be a little bit too much to handle for this CU team. Okay, so another thing that um, I kind of want to do with this podcast is provide a little recruiting update to you guys. Uh, I know that the Rivals site and the Scout, now 24-7 site, Buff Stampede, does a pretty good job on updating recruiting, but those are both paid-for sites, and a lot of you guys don't like to pay money. So um, this was actually a pretty big weekend in CU recruiting they had over 30 unofficial visitors that was reported before the game I'm not sure if they all showed up but I know that all the official visitors showed up and most of the unofficial visitors also did Uh, I saw Hank Bachmeyer in the crowd who is a four-star quarterback part of the class of 2019 and um, so he made the trip out it was actually his second trip to Boulder he came over the summer there's obviously a lot of interest between the two. CU has a ton of interest in Hank, but um, he is still looking over his options, and he wants to make the right decision. It's going to come down to a battle for CU. I think they're still in the running for sure, especially after coming this past weekend. Hank said he enjoyed it a lot, um, but they're going to be competing with the likes of Minnesota, UCLA, and some other really big-time schools. So. Uh, another big one that came this past weekend was Kyle Ford. He's a, the third-ranked wide receiver in the country for the 2019 class, so big-time big, big time recruit for Coach Everini. Um, he also said he enjoyed his trip, but, I mean, they're going to be competing with Notre Dame, USC, UCLA, Oregon, Washington, all of the big guns for him if they want to get a shot at Kyle Ford. So... But Coach Shev gets all the wide receiver recruits. That's like his whole thing. Yeah. Coach Shev has a million wide receivers for the next few years. It's kind of why you give CU a chance with this kid because they have Coach Cheverini. I don't know if, if they had someone else if you would give him as much of a chance because literally every single big dog on the west side is in on Kyle Ford. So They love Coach Shev. He's very lovable. 
So the two very important official visitors over this past weekend, since those other two were 2019 kids, those were obviously unofficial. You have to be a senior to take your official visit, or at least going into your senior year. So the two uno- or the two official visitors were Hassan Hypelite and Dominic Livingston, the two important ones. There were some others that are already committed. Um, Dominic Livingston is already committed to Texas A&M. He's a defensive tackle, but... Uh, According to BuffStampede.com, they posted an article. If you're a subscriber, you should go read it. But basically, he's very interested in CU and is definitely considering flipping from Texas A&M. Uh, CU is very persistent because they definitely want a defensive lineman. That was one of the big holes that they had to fill during this recruiting class. And they just recently got their first one in Tavafinau. And now they're looking for a nose tackle. Hopefully they found him in Livingston. There's a couple other ones on the board, so we'll see how that goes. Um, and then Hassan Hypolite is a safety outside linebacker hybrid, which is what they call him in recruiting. I think we all know what that is when it comes to CU. That's a buff backer. Buff back. And so um, he took a visit, I think in early August or maybe it was middle July. He was here pretty recently in Boulder. Obviously enjoyed it. He came back to see a game this past weekend. He's going to be deciding between East Carolina, Houston, and Texas Tech, and then obviously CU. Um, It's coming down to the wire on that one. He actually announced his decision to be like August 15th and then moved it back. He continues to move it back, so he has a lot of thinking to do. He's perfect for CU's system. He's a perfect buff backer. He has that, I mean, literally the size that you want to play that's why he's a already an outside linebacker safety hybrid so he's perfect for the system we'll see if they're able to bring him to boulder that's about it for the important visitors of this past weekend all right that about wraps up what we have for you this week uh chase and i are going to be bringing this podcast to you as often as possible um Maybe after a game, maybe we'll do one where we break down the week before or we preview next week. Uh, We're going to just try to get you as much football buffs information as possible as the season goes on. Make sure to follow us on all social media, BSN Buffs on Instagram, BSN Denver on Snapchat. We've been Snapchatting that game. Sam will be at UCLA this weekend. I'm sure she's probably going to open up the Snapchat there. Yep. Um, Most of you probably follow our Twitter at BSN Buffs, and then you should be following our own personal Twitter, Mine is at by Chase Howell. Mine's at Samantha N. Weaver. And uh, that's all we have for this week. For BSN Buffs, uh, I'm Samantha Weaver and Chase Howell.